Over Advent, we are going to look at uh, different songs of the season, songs, hymns that um, are special in particular for this this time of year leading up to Christmas, and I'm going to share uh, a few songs that you might not be as familiar with, but uh, these are songs that help us get just a big a big, a big picture of of who God is, and um, and my hope is that we will uh, really be blessed by God revealing Himself, His whole self, um, the fullness of God to us um, over Advent as we look at these different Christmas songs. And today we are thinking about what we just sung: "O Come, O Come, Emmanuel." Um, I don't have a note sheet for you today, no blanks to fill in, no no nice little screens other than scripture um, on them, maybe a, maybe a couple of questions at the end, um, but you can you can scribble all over that bulletin of yours if if um, if if you are moved uh, to do so when I capture a thought. O come, O come, Emmanuel, that, it's just, you know, it's one of those songs that you probably don't hum much of throughout the rest of the year, but my gosh, when it comes to right before Christmas, uh, people love O come, O come, Emmanuel. We love this hymn. For one reason, it just sounds cool. Can we say that about a song? It just sounds cool. Um, this kind of haunting uh, melody, and uh, that, that's not the only reason why we love it. We love it because it points to hope. Um, that hymn dates back to the medieval period. Not quite sure when. It might have been the somewhere between the 800s and the 1100s. Somewhere in that time span is where I've read um, this, this hymn originated from the medieval period. Uh, it was used during an old church practice during the final week leading up to Christmas, uh, seven days up until Christmas. And that, that church celebration was called the O Antiphons. I don't know what O Antiphons uh, really points to. O Antiphons. But this, um, this hymn points to... Uh, who the Messiah is, different names given to the Messiah in Scripture. And, and that's what the O Antiphon celebration was about, was thinking deeply about all that the Messiah is. And, and what a great name um, we sing over and over again in that song, the name for the Messiah, Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. So what is this, this hymn, what is it to us? It's, it's our cry for help, right? It's been the, the cry for help of Christians for hundreds and hundreds of years. We need help, God. We need guidance. We need answers. And I think this is part of why we love this hymn so much. It kind of gives us words of lament to speak to God. You know, things can be generally fine in our life, but there's this underlying lament that we oh, we have in our hearts that that is there because we know that things aren't quite right in the world. And we might know that generally that things aren't quite right in the world because generally we see 
things going on with others that are difficult, or maybe we know, uh, you know, a few difficulties of our own, or we might be aware of that very acutely that things are not right in the world. Maybe there's a deep crisis that you are going through now, a, a trial that is very difficult. Well, this hymn gives us some language of lament to, to kind of sing out to God um, when we know that not all is right with the world and we need God to step in and make things right. And so I want to do this morning is I want to look at where we see the word Emmanuel, the name Emmanuel in Scripture. And I think it might surprise you where where we see it come up. So, I mean, you may know in general that it appears in the New Testament as the Gospel of Matthew quotes something from the Old Testament about Emmanuel, God with us. Well, where is he quoting from the Old Testament? Well, he's quoting from Isaiah. He's quoting from Isaiah. And in these three chapters, chapters 7 and 8 and 9, we see this name Emmanuel several times. And what's going on? In these chapters of Isaiah, it's pretty interesting. So I want to look at that real fast. If you want to open your Bible, you can turn to, uh, to chapter 8 of Isaiah. Um, you can use our pew Bible if you don't have one. And if you're using one of our Bibles, look for it under a chair in front of you, page 682 for Isaiah chapter 8. Um, but I want to start with Isaiah chapter 7. And this chapter introduces a time of crisis with the Israelite people. Um, At this particular point in in history, the nation of Israel has been fractured. There's a southern kingdom of Israel, a northern kingdom of Israel, and they were not friends with one another. Ahaz was the king of the southern nation of Israel, otherwise known as Judah. And uh, chapter 7 of Isaiah talks about a threat to the southern kingdom, the king of the northern Israelites and the king of um, Aram were going to invade Ahaz and the southern Israelites. So there's this threat, and Ahaz came up with a plan. He was going to pay the biggest, baddest dude out there, the nation of uh, Assyria, to, um, to come and fight with them. And he was going to try to make an alliance with Assyria, except it wasn't really an alliance. He was going to pay them, and he was simply admitting to Assyria, think about this, Assyria, we are weak and powerless, and we need you to come and rescue us. And oh, by the way, Here's just a small amount of money to enlist your services. We hope that you'll find this payment satisfactory, just a little bit of what we have. Please don't come and hurt us as well. Not a real Phi Beta Kappa move on King Ahaz's part. So God sends the prophet Isaiah to give a message to Ahaz, the king. And he said, essentially, you don't have to worry about the invasion of northern Israel and the invasion of Aram, it won't happen. Trust in your God. That was the message of Isaiah. Then an amazing thing happened. God told Ahaz, assumedly still through Isaiah, God told Ahaz, ask me for a sign that you can put your trust in me, that you won't be invaded. 
Oh, that's nice. God said, here, ask me for a sign. But you can believe in me. And Ahaz said, you know what? I, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Sounds like a faithful move on Ahaz's part, right? Actually, he might not have said it like that. He may have said it like this. I'm not going to put the Lord to the test. We're not quite sure the tone in Ahaz's voice. But what we realize is that it is not a faithful move on Ahaz's part. Ahaz, regardless of the tone of his voice, what he was doing is he was just blowing off God, like saying, God, I got this, I got this one. I don't need your help. I don't need you. And this provoked, this reaction of Ahaz provoked one of the most famous prophecies in the whole Bible. Matthew quotes it in the New Testament. It's Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and this is what it says. Isaiah says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Since you rejected the Lord's sign, he's going to give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. And you may be thinking, ah, so God told Ahaz, I am with you after all. And therefore, Assyria never bothered Ahaz and the Israelites again. And they all lived happily ever after. Because didn't God say, Emmanuel, God's with you? Well, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. And it gets a little more confusing. And I've got to read this section of prophecy that happened next. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 6. Isaiah said, Because this people has rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh. Because you have rejected something, a gift of God, this whatever the, the gentle flowing waters of Shiloh was. could be that Shiloh is related to the word shalom, peace, God's peace. But since you have rejected this gentle hand of God and his blessing... Because you have done that, verse 7, therefore the Lord is about to bring against them the mighty floodwaters of the Euphrates, a metaphor for this, for the king of Assyria with all of his pomp. It will overflow all its channels. It will run over its banks. It will sweep into Judah, swirling over it, passing through it, and reaching up to the neck. Its outspread wings will cover the breadth of your land. Assyria will cover over your land. And he says, Emmanuel. God with us. Really? Because it doesn't sound like it. He's going to send the king of the baddest nation on the earth to cover you. Here, it almost seems like Emmanuel is more of a warning, doesn't it? Well, what is it? Is it a warning or is it a promise that God is with? Is it a warning or is it a promise? Well, it's both. The statement, God with us, it's both. It's a promise of great hope. In the New Testament, Matthew takes this prophecy from Isaiah of Emmanuel, uses it to to proclaim the the birth of the Messiah, Jesus, to give us hope. God with us. There isn't anything better than knowing that God is with you, right? That is, unless you really don't want God with you. (laughs) And then it's a warning. And you might 
like the idea of God being with you. I mean, kind of like the idea of that, but then you start thinking, well, what does it, it really mean? What are the implications of God being with me? And you might realize, ooh, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I, I don't know if I really want, really want God near me. And if that's the case, then it's a warning, isn't it? It's a warning. There are definitive implications when God is with you. So let's look at uh, the scripture, finally get to it, the scripture mentioned in your bulletin. Um, Chapter 8, verses 19, and then through chapter 9, verse 2. This is what Isaiah says. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are finished, they will become enraged and looking upward, they will curse their God, they will curse their king and their God. They will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. That's God with us being a warning. In chapter 9, verse 1, Nevertheless, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past he humbled the land of Zebulun and by the la- and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So how is God with us a warning? Well, the scripture that we just read kind of describes this struggle between people and God, doesn't it? I mean, what is the struggle? Where is the struggle? It's a struggle of wills between people. And God, the people, are seeking answers to their problems. And that's just a quite normal, natural human thing to do, right? We want answers to our problems, But where are they seeking their answers? Well, they're seeking from kind of the occult, spiritualists, um, mediums or spiritists, mediums, people and things that can help them get in touch with the spiritual world. That's all fine and good. If God didn't exist, that'd be all fine and good. If God weren't there, but God is there. So the prophet asked the people, why would you not turn to God for your answers? He's there. Shouldn't you inquire of your God? So there's a struggle of wills. God says, I will guide you. The people says, no, that's all right. We can seek our guidance from right over here. These people who can help us consult with the dead, they can give us answers to our questions. Now, You you might not have a Ouija board in your closet. (laughs) Spiritists and mediums might not be what you are going to for your wisdom. Where do we go for our guidance? Where do we go for wisdom? Not just in wisdom about God, but wisdom about life, how how to 
how to live, how to be a good employee. Where do you go for wisdom on how to do your business well? Where do you go for wisdom on how to manage your relationships well, how to be a good friend, how to, how to respond appropriately to people of the opposite sex, how to be a good husband to your wife, how to be a good wife to your husband. Where do you go for wisdom on that? Where do you go for direction on, on how you should respond to someone who really hurts you? What, what, what guidance do you listen to for that? Where do you go for direction on how to spend your money, on, on how much we should be giving back to God? Where do you seek your wisdom, your direction on that? Really, where? One thing we see is that when we don't listen to God, when he is not the source of our wisdom for all of life. What we see is a lot of times God, God tends to let us get lost on our own. God doesn't inflate the, you know, like at a bowling alley when you're bowling with your little four-year-old, and they need the little bumper guards. God doesn't inflate the bumper guards in the alleyways to make sure that you stay on this straight and narrow path. God generally allows us to get lost on our own when we're not seeking him for wisdom and guidance. So let's be clear on this. When you seek guidance from life, While being dismissive of God's word, you will stray from God's path. Where do we go for wisdom on how to live? I was at a a church training event um, not too long ago. And um, the the leader of our event was a pastor, and he was interviewing a, a lady who attended. And she brought up fear in her life. She was a Christian. She was a businesswoman. And she shared this, this fear. She said, I am afraid of what following God would do to my business, would do to the profit that I am able to earn. I'm afraid that I wouldn't be able to, and she really said this, to, to cut the corners necessary for me to, she seemed like a pretty honest lady. I mean, not, she didn't look like a crook or a dirty person, just normal person saying, I don't know what to do to get this profit that I need. And I, you know, just try to save an extra buck here or there. And I'm worried if following God would mess up my, my profit line. And our presenter, he just looked at her and said, well, that's a dilemma. That's a dilemma. How do we handle the dilemmas of our life? So think of this hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, God be with us. That's, that's how. God be with us. We'll get to that verse in a second. So Christians generally know, not that verse, they generally know the first verse really well, right? O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, ransom captive Israel. We understand the concept of ransom means 
Someone gives something up to get something else. It, it means to redeem. And we know that God rescued, redeemed us by giving something so he could get something for us. Gave his son to rescue us. We, we know that verse 1. We like that first verse. Another verse that often is sung is the one about God cheering us with, with his advent here and disperse the gloomy uh, clouds, the gloomy night, the dark shadows, get rid of the dark shadows. Oh, Emmanuel, we kind of like that verse, familiar with that verse. We're pretty familiar with the verse um, about Emmanuel getting rid of the human divisions and, and bringing peace. We like that verse. And then there's this verse. That you may be less familiar with. This is the verse when we sing it, when we sing all four verses. This is the one that, where the volume kind of goes down because we're just not as familiar with this verse. It's verse 3. In verse 3, we like to cut out verse 3 to save time. O come thou wisdom from on high and order all things. Far and nigh, order them, arrange them, make them so, all things far and nigh. To us the path of knowledge show and cause us, cause us, move us, because sometimes we are resistant in that direction. We're in a dilemma and we don't know, God, how we're going to manage this if we were to follow you. We are resistant, so cause us in her ways, in the ways of the path of knowledge, your path of knowledge. You get the prayer here? When we really pray that, we are saying, God, I want you to order my life. I want you, not me. I want you, God, to order my life. I can trust you. I cannot trust myself. Show us the path of knowledge, the path of your word, God. Show us your word and what your word says about all of our life. Show us not just your written word, but your eternal world, Jesus Christ, the word of God, and how he lived. Show us how we are to live by looking at Jesus Christ. And deviations to God's commands and his instructions and his examples of living are dangerous, and they get us on the wrong path when we deviate from God's word. And so there's this please, this plea, cause us to go in this way, because it's not intuitive, it's not natural. Cause us, God. Now, if the ancient Israelites had sung, O come, O come, Emmanuel, when they were facing this dilemma of the Assyrians, you know, I could see how the three familiar verses would have been of great peace and, and hope for them. And they probably would have stuck to those three. Just three. Three is a good number. Keep it short. Not too long. And the very verse they might have left off was the one that addressed the reason that got them into the problem in the first place because they were not going in the ways of God's knowledge. In fact, they were turning to other sources of knowledge and wisdom for their life. It was because of that they were in this predicament. So, God, we don't want to sing that verse. They might have left that verse off. 
So is verse 3, is that something that you can really pray in your heart? Just kind of a between you and God question this morning. Is that something that you can really pray in your heart? Why is it so important to be able to do that? Because ultimately, it's about who's in charge, isn't it? Imagine an empty throne room in a castle. On the platform, there's the big throne. Imagine some people being in that empty throne room. And imagine seeing a little toddler finding that throne empty and kind of toddling over there and climbing up into the throne. That might be kind of cute, right? What would happen if the king were to walk in and see the little toddler in the throne? Well, the king probably would smile a little bit and walk up to that toddler and may visit with him a little bit and may ask him, okay, who's in charge here? And we'd all have a good laugh, right? Something like that. The king may even come and ask the child, do you mind if I sit on my throne? I am the king. Do you mind if I sit here? And he may even laugh if the little toddler were to kind of sit up straight and hands on his or her hips and say, no, I'm in charge. The king might laugh at that. And the king may then just kind of pick up the little toddler and hand it to his or her mom or dad, right? And everyone enjoys that. The king may even tease with a kid at age seven, eight, maybe nine, that was sitting in the throne refusing to budge. But there comes a certain age when the king would react differently, right? Someone sitting in the throne and refusing to budge. When it's not a toddler, when it's not a seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old, when it's a 20 or 30 or 40-year-old sitting in the throne refusing to budge, the king may react a little differently. There is a silent attitude of so many people, and that is, I'm going to occupy that throne. O king, I'm going to occupy it. And they will not budge for God. At most, they might invite God to pull up a chair, pull up another throne. I'm sitting in this one. You can pull up another throne and sit in this other throne next to me. And how is that relating to the king? Not as a king, but as like a, a buddy. As a buddy. Come, come be my buddy and sit next to me. So look at verse 20 again. Isaiah chapter 8. Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. Seek wisdom in God's word. Listen to it. Trust it. Obey it. Give it final authority over your life. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of life. Light of dawn. Verse 21. Next verse. Verse 21. Distressed and hungry. They will roam throughout the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged. And looking upward, they will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. That's the picture of someone who has neglected God's word, whom God has allowed to to drift 
on another path, away from his protection, away from the blessings that come when we follow his word. I don't want to be on that path. How how do you get back on the right path? How How do we get off the throne? By remembering that although God let you wander off his path, that he knows exactly where you are. You haven't wandered from his sight. You may be lost, but you're not lost to God. (laughs) He knows the path that you are on. And there's this promise at the beginning of Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless, nevertheless, what a great word in this scripture. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are living in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Now, what's the big deal about Zebulun and Naphtali? Well, those were the two two of the 12 tribes of Israel that were given land in the northernmost region of Israel. And so they were the first regions to be invaded by Assyria. They're kind of the ground zero of the Assyrian threat because it all happened through Zebulun and Naphtali. Right in the region of Galilee. So it's where the Assyrians first came. Isaiah centers in on ground zero of the, kind of the symbolic ground zero for all the trouble of the Israelites. And it's at the setting of ground zero that he gives this promise. The end of of verse one. But in the future, God will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea. Beyond the Jordan. How, how, do you, how do you think, by the way, God's going to honor Galilee? Because the Messiah, Messiah Christ, is going to come from Galilee. Verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the deep darkness, a light has dawned. So, so God will bring you back. He knows right where you are. The people in trouble and terror have seen a great light. How have they seen it? So the English translation says a great light has dawned at the end of that verse, and it's actually not putting it how I think the original language would have us read it. It makes it seem like, yeah, kind of the sun came up and dawn was everywhere and they saw it, but that's not really what the Scriptures say. It says that the great light shone upon them like a spotlight Boom, directed right at these lost people. These people in this crisis, boom, right there. Because God knows where they are. And God knows where we are when we're on that wrong path. And he will shine his light right on us. God in his grace saw their predicament. shone that light right on them. And so sure is Isaiah that this promise will come to pass. That he he puts it in the in the... In the past tense, the answering of this promise of the Messiah, even though the Messiah wouldn't come for hundreds and hundreds of years, he puts this promise in the past tense. They have seen this great light. Isaiah is 100% certain that God will rescue them and God will rescue you. So two short questions to, to close. One, what is troubling you? What is your ground zero? What is your land of Zebulun and Naphtali, the ground zero of your trouble. Where are you afraid? Do you know that when we are afraid, that is not come by us reading God's word. Fear doesn't happen when we 
look for knowledge from God's word. That's not where fear comes from. The only thing that we find to fear in Scripture, Jesus says, fear the, don't fear the devil. Don't fear the, the, the one that can kill the body. That's not what you need to be afraid of. It's nothing. Fear, instead, the one who can throw your body in hell. Fear God. So that's all we find to be afraid of in Scripture, this holy fear, this, this, this knowing how to relate to God in the right way. That's the fear that we see in the Scriptures. But if you are afraid of something else, that is not because you've been reading the Scriptures too much because the Scriptures we read over and over again, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Because God is shining his light on you. Don't be afraid. It's all right. Second question, who is sitting on the throne of your life? Are you saying, God, I'm I'm ready to submit to your word fully? See, God gives us the ability to say that. I'm, 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 I'm ready to fully submit to you. We can't say that and mean it without God shining his light on you. That comes from God. If you have this inclination, God, I want you to rule my life. I know I'm struggling. But if you have an inclination, that is a really good sign of God's grace in your life. But I want to suggest to us is we need to back up our words, our thoughts with action. We want God on the throne of our life and act like it. I think Mike Wilson prayed earlier that we would put ourselves in the position for God to be able to move us. How do we do that? Well, just like the prophet is urging us, turn to God for knowledge and wisdom. Turn to his word for light in your life. Read his word. Failure to do so, to read his word, is just kind of like a, a, a more polite way of saying, God, I don't really want you on the throne. Just being just doing that with manners by not reading God's word. So read God's word and obey. I challenge you this Advent season, leading up to Christmas, to, to read his word. Urge you to do it. I urge myself to do it because I'm like you guys. And man, we get busy. and We can drop that habit. I urge all of us to read God's word over Advent and seek the way to live through his word and through the eternal word, Jesus Christ and his example to us. I think I saw Donna Hussey, our children's director, post on Facebook the idea, reading through the Gospel of Luke, 24 chapters. Hey, there's 24 days until Christmas, one chapter a day. Wow, what a great challenge. Just read through the Gospel of Luke. This Advent time, read God's Word. Because God may have a word for you to get you back on the right path if you're off. You might read a word from God that directly relates to the trouble that you're in. You're like, ah, I'm following this. Or maybe you'll read a different word. It doesn't, doesn't seem like it relates. But, you know, whenever we start obeying in any area of our life, God starts getting us more and more on his path, the right path, the path of his blessings, the path of, of his light. Let's get on this path the path of God's light this Advent time. Let's pray. Almighty God, we, we thank you that we don't have to go looking for your light. It's not hidden. It's not some secret. 
It's by your grace that you make it available to us. We pray that you would shine your light on us in your grace. We pray that we would seek your wisdom, your insight, your knowledge, your word, and make it abide deeply in our heart, and then give us the ability to follow and obey and trust. In Jesus' name, amen.